I was telling Mike before he came on, I remember this movie being on like always on repeat on Comedy Central. And so I feel like I always would see parts of this movie and I uncovered my DVD collection, which includes a copy of Dogma, which apparently I didn't know until maybe you told me, Frank, that it's like a collector's edition thing now. Uh, I, I at least have that one collector's edition. I don't know if there were multiple editions that they issued, but I have the one that has like the really nice like illustrated artwork of the entire cast. Uh, maybe there was a, an original release, but uh, I, I was a I was a, a proud uh, citizen of the View Askewdiverse, so I <laughs> collected a lot of that shit. Yeah. growing up. Well, I think it's because Harvey Weinstein owns the pat the 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 movie rights, so they can't stream this on any service. Is that why oh, okay. it wasn't and available? The, and the reason for that not being available is because Disney didn't want to release it, and so Miramax, which I guess was owned by Harvey Weinstein or he was the head, bought it and then released it or took the rights and then released the movie so harvey weinstein has the and they tried to buy from him and he's like no i'm not going to sell it to you because he's a piece of shit sure that's wild i mean that explains a lot i've never encountered this in the modern era where i went to search for a movie on the the tv and it was like we just don't have it anywhere (laughs) i was like i didn't i didn't know that that could happen yeah it's on youtube surprisingly enough like that's why i watched it yeah yeah which is uncommon because usually they pull movies off YouTube. They're like, no, you can't have that on here. Sit back in your seats, get something to eat, watch this movie. Don't let the kids see it because, well, we'll let you hear the the, video first. Thank you. All right, we are here tonight to discuss on Left of the Projector, the 1999 Kevin Smith film, dogma and i have uh with me to discuss mike from uh turn leftist podcast and frank from movies versus capitalism thank you both for joining how's it going thank you for having this movie is uh i i always had great memories of this uh this movie and as not a christian and not as a religious person i don't know if i have the same viewing perspective i don't know what you guys remember this movie and what your overall thoughts are well mike do you mind if i ask where you raised uh catholic or christian or anything like that yeah roman catholic how about you same dude oh. yeah Jew, it's definitely Jew, funnier yeah. in that case right yeah i think some of the jokes hit a little bit closer to home uh in a really in a really wonderful way i mean i know i was gonna there were a ton of catholics and christians who were very very angry when this movie came out yeah. um yeah, they delayed the movie but, i think almost a year because of all the protests for it yeah you could see that yeah i mean you gotta be really uptight in that sense but like yeah, Catholics are known for doing that. So, really, I thought we were like the chill ones. <laughs> no, the chillest ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the the funny thing, I was listening to Charlie Rose uh, interview with Chris Rock and Kevin Smith. I don't, I don't remember which one of them mentioned. I think it was Kevin Smith saying that it sort of like undermines like the idea of religion if a movie like threatens your faith. And I think it's like kind of a perfect comment because like oh a movie is going to make people not take catholicism seriously how serious was your religion to begin with yeah well yeah like that'll be like that movie will be the thing that uh makes people not want to subscribe to catholicism anymore they're like oh bad thing ben affleck i'm done i mean therein lies the paranoia right that's the whole thing that they're so scared about and why they get so amped up about anything that criticizes or uh what do you call it like just most fun at their religion because it will threatened to reveal that it all is just a farce it's all just a bunch of shit they made up but i mean this movie in particular is great at doing that because i mean the title it's called dogma and it specifically goes after like tenets of religion and takes them both seriously and unseriously at the same time in a way that's like funny but then also of course makes you seriously question your religion if you're somebody like because i think a lot of people probably saw this jonathan holder was in 99 but definitely of the age where i would have been like coming out of religion like a, a last catholic now so it's like perfect for that age group of like teenagers who were like realizing that this was all bullshit foisted upon them and puts it in that light but it's it's great i mean i think it's really clever of course we i'm sure we're going to talk about all the ways that he takes it seriously and unseriously at the same time uh for like what do you call it uh purposes of the movie like uh, theatrical purposes i guess yeah i was so 99 this came out that i was 11 i probably didn't actually see this until like i don't know 12 13 at whatever age that was when somebody i'm from new jersey as well so it's so it, i think we got to it earlier somebody was like yo we gotta watch all the kevin smith movies <laughs> uh and i think at that time like it, yeah his first four had come out clerks uh chasing Mall rats amy. chasing amy dogma so 
I remember seeing Dogma, must have been like 12, 13, Roman Catholic. It already started kind of having like little bits of doubts in the church. I was like, I was like, these people aren't very nice to me when I show up. Uh, <laughs> this, doesn't, this doesn't feel like the place where God wants me to hang out. Um, I remember seeing this movie and it just fucking blew my mind open. I like just didn't. I was just like at that right, like that sweet spot age where I was just like, wow, I didn't know you could think about all of the like all of these concepts and all of these like he says in the movie, all these dogmatic structures in these different ways and really like opened up my like perspective. So I this is this is my favorite Kevin Smith movie, hands down. So maybe that's why uh, the Catholic Church was so afraid, like, you know, teens and kids who I mean, I, I mean, again, it's it's still a movie and still has its, you know, community value. And one thing actually, I don't know if you guys noticed this. I didn't notice until this last rewatch was being a Kevin Smith is like a big comic book type he loves comic books and comics. Uh, the movie this time felt kind of like it was structured almost like a comic book with like the introduction of different characters. And then at the end, they kind of all come together and you see like the the action or whatever you want to call it. At the end, it felt very comic booky, even though it's not at all. I don't think any of his other movies feel that way to me. That's a really good. Yeah, no, that's a really good observation. Um, it's. I think probably his most well-structured movie in the way that the the plot and the story develops and the way that characters are introduced and the way that, I mean, it's kind of like, there's also like a whodunit happening, you know, underneath this, which is like actually pretty compelling where, you know, like you're figuring it out as the characters are. Right. And then you have, and then like, so like you have this, this, yeah, all these different characters get introduced and, and the characters are so well written i know they're broad but like they're they're broad but specific at the same time so like yeah i totally get that uh comic book comparison and the cast would you guys say okay just just a quick question like i'm not a huge kevin smith fan i've only seen this one uh clerks saw clerks 2 and um saw mall rats but those are like the only kevin smith movies i've seen and even being from new jersey myself i was just never like a a huge fan for some reason but yeah jersey represent probably more on this podcast we're taking over (laughs) but um would you guys say that this is his smartest movie? Because to me, it feels like the smartest of the ones that I know of his. Like, it feels like he put the most thought into the script and, like, the concepts behind it, like we were saying. But, yeah, that's I think that's why I liked it the best of all his that I've seen. Uh, One million percent. Easily yes. the most smart. Actually, he wrote this before he wrote Clerks. That's crazy. What? Yeah, he wrote this when he was pretty young, and then he didn't make it because he wanted to do it when he had more money for special effects. Makes Damn. sense. Which actually is smart. almost <laughs> more unbelievable because... Clerks, I feel like, is a more raw movie, whereas this is like a really to have been this your first movie you wrote as a human is pretty yeah, impressive. I'm, I'm imagining he like did revisions, yes, yeah, uh, as, as, as he became a stronger yes. writer and filmmaker. I guess the idea I should say came sure. about before. Yeah, I was saying to Mike before is apparently like some of the drafts were more controversial as it went through, and they had to kind of like tone it down so that the protest would be a little less angry and then actually i saw in the charlie rose interview or something that the archdiocese or i don't know exactly what the name is asked to come and see a screening of dogma with kevin (laughs) smith before (laughs) it was released and it was he claimed it was so that he could like prepare a statement for when like people would ask him about the movie and really he just wanted to see it it's funny i mean that makes sense they're doing oppo research you know they got yeah say what you will about the catholic church they've got pretty good pr you know (laughs) yes they they, i think they've got that market cornered uh, although Mm -hmm. kind of there's some cracks in that in that uh facade i'd say yeah mike i would say that having seen pretty much all of uh kevin smith's movies this is like far and away his his most intelligent film i it's i again it's my favorite i think it's his best i think it does i think it is like the apex of what he was good at as a filmmaker which is like incorporating these very very wordy like esoteric ideas and these monologues and all these thoughts about and like these these different different ways of looking at old things especially he, he would do it in pop culture but in this he's looking at the church but like it like including all of that analysis while and marrying that with just like the dumbest fucking humor like a poo-poo demon yeah yeah um so like yeah this is I yeah I really I watched I watched I just finished rewatching it and I was like goddamn you know some of this doesn't age well but a lot of it really does and I fucking love it it made like I still laughed very hard at several parts when I was growing up also George Carlin was one of my favorite if not if not my favorite comedians I saw him I met him like once when I was pretty young for like a book signing and him being basically other than like the opening scene where you see the the three like hockey 
which also I feel like is the perfect metaphor for like kids in New Jersey causing trouble, like skating mm-hmm. around with like with hockey sticks. And they, you know, they, they have George Carlin come in. He's the, uh, what's his official character? He's the Cardinal, Cardinal, Gleck. Yes, Cardinal Gleck. And he comes in and he's just hilarity. And actually the full unedited scene that they cut is even funnier. It's like he goes on for a while. It's pretty damn funny. And I think it's perfect because he also hates organized religion. He jokes about it in his comedy. Couldn't have been a more perfect choice for me. Yeah, Carlin is absolutely on fire in this movie that he like i i think of everyone i he makes me laugh the hardest uh like people could see that the catholic church has a little more panache like this like who <laughs> I, it, uh, god he's fucking perfect miss him i feel like he plays it well too because carlin was like a devout atheist right yeah. like mm-hmm. was i think also raised catholic himself yeah like carlin just i assume yep. Irish catholic like so this had to have a special irony and just a place in his heart to play this character. Yeah, I don't know. Think they? I, I was looking. I don't think they had someone else in mind. But then they approached him, and he's like, "I'll do this." And I told him. The, I told Mike the only stipulation was he had to wear his wedding ring. So they put a bandaid over it so you couldn't see it. Oh, because I think his his wife fact. had just died, and he's like, "I don't want to take it off," sure. which was pretty cool. And this this movie, yeah. like you were saying, I think. Uh, well, Mike, you're saying it's like very well, or maybe you, Frank, saying it's like very well structured. It's like perfectly each scene feels separate, but they like flow perfectly. So you have the like the little intro, the guy getting beat up, and then we have you know George Carlin's little speech introducing you to like the joke of the Catholic Church, being like, "We know you guys think we're kind of messed up, so we're going to try and be cool about it and have this buddy Jesus," which is just so funny. It's so funny. I'm not a Christian, but it's funny as shit. Dude, I laughed out loud so hard when they pulled when they pulled the cloth off of the Buddy <laughs> Christ, and I've seen that thing. So I think I had that like a little statuette of that in high school, and just seeing it again, so brilliant. The whole like the whole Catholicism Wow campaign, like the the Catholic Church is trying to revamp their brand. It's like Catholicism Wow, and oh God, Carlin, it's like doesn't it just pop Buddy Christ? And it's amazing. I was like, wait, this happened before the. Uh, like all of like the Boston, uh, the was it the Boston Globe, the Boston Herald? Yeah, it was before like that. The, it was, this was before that. So like this was at a time when the Catholic Church, where at least it was satirical to say that the Catholic Church needed a revitalization in its image. And this was before all of the like the priest like sex scandals came out, or not ses- ch- child sexual abuse, I should say. And then I guess it makes it even funnier that he had had like this idea <laughs> floating, Kevin Smith like floating around, and it would have worked. Until that moment, probably it's still. I think it almost makes it even. Is it funnier in the fact that that happened? And then you're like, they really need some like revamping. Absolutely, it's like he was predicting the future. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that right. That's true. That's true. And so the the uh, the all. Uh, we'll just say that this movie has maybe, if not the best cast you'll find in like any comedy movie. And according to that Charlie Rose interview, all the actors were paid scale, so no one made shit off this movie. Basically, the people just wanted to be in this movie, and that was that's how we got every actor you saw. I've heard him talk about that about his sets. Uh, I think it's just because he never got like big budgets, right. so it was a lot of yeah, it was a lot of uh, getting his friends. I'm sure Affleck and Damon had a lot to do with getting people in the movie. Um, I never actually found out how did how they all became friends, like Kevin Smith, Affleck, and Damon, because they're like in. Pretty much all of his early stuff, yeah, or at least Affleck that's is, true. for sure. I don't know. I, I didn't look into that, but I, you said budget. This movie cost $10, bil- 10 million, and it Jesus. made $44 million, which isn't a lot. But in 1999, for like a kind of a, this kind of heart, this kind of humor or comedy movie, it's pretty good, I'd say. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it has, the cast is phenomenal. It has Ben Affleck, like you said, uh, Matt Damon. It has uh, Janine Garofalo, who apparently was also floated as being the, the main person in this movie. Was supposed to be uh, Bethany, but she wasn't. She was big at the time. You had Alan Rickman, of course. You know, R.I.P. Yeah, George Carlin too. Yeah, so Salma Hayek, who Chris Rock. I mean, just Chris Rock. Chris Rock. That was actually. Okay, sorry, just real quick. My first impression of the movie was just how much babies Matt Damon and uh, Ben Affleck look like. But then also just to see George Carlin and then to see uh, Alan Rickman made me sad. But uh, continue, Frank. Sorry. No, I know. I did. Yes, they're all they're so young, especially Affleck and Damon. Um, but I was just going to say Chris Rock is like on, on this watch. I was like, he's very good in this. Like he, he is, is. He is very, he's good. very compelling. Um, <laughs> I also think this is this is like maybe my favorite on screen Affleck and Damon together. I like and I'm not even just saying that 
as a fan of this movie and Kevin Smith, like they're they're really good. They play off of each other very well. And like the characters are like very interesting. I, like I don't give a shit about them in the duel or air or any of that like any of that stuff. I mean, maybe Goodwill Hunting, but I love them in this in this movie. You can tell that they are like not acting almost. Like they're just like two friends that are just they're talking about like being angels and being expelled from heaven, which as we you know we'll probably talk about some, but that's basically the plot of this movie is that Loki and Bartleby have been ex you know sent out of heaven and they live in Illinois, right? Illinois, Wisconsin, oh, Wisconsin, right? They go Bethany lives in Illinois. You're right, and so they basically have to live their rest of their lives there. But they find a loophole, which we see in the opening scene, where they get some where Bartleby, which is Ben Affleck, gets like a little newspaper clipping about this church opening which will allow them to find a loophole in god's you know being got from god so they can now go into heaven which we later find out will unmake humanity and destroy everything which i think is another interesting aspect to this but i think the whole like plot hinges on the fact that basically god's is not always right and <laughs> and by not always right i mean might not exist uh, well you know the whole thing it's just like I don't know. I don't know what you guys think of the, like the, as about God. No, <laughs> no, that's, that's not for this podcast perhaps, but just like the inner, inner weaving of like religious, like that as like the religious backdrop of the whole movie, like as former, or I guess still existing Catholics, like how does that play off of like what you might've learned as like kids about, I don't know. I don't know how to ask this question. That makes sense. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts, but Frank, if you have something, I'll let you go first. The stuff that we learned in, at least in my church going experience, the stuff that I was taught and learned was very like, it was very boring. It was very dry. A lot of it was fire and brimstone. A lot of it was like, we're judging the shit out of you always, all the time. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the big one. That's like the big, that's like the Catholic thing is like, you should feel bad about every single thing that you do. And mm -hmm. not only should you feel bad, someone is watching you do it. Um, so it was really cool seeing someone like flip a lot of these concepts on their head and question them. And I think he does, I think he does a really brilliant job as he's introducing these different characters to kind of come in with these different uh, perspectives and specific criticisms about the church and, and specifically about the Bible and the way that it like portrays women, the way that uh, it, you know, it has written off uh, people of color, the way that uh, uh, you know, beliefs in religion have led to wars, all of these different things. And it's, 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 so it, it attacks a lot of the things that I already knew, but just like kind of took them at a different angle. And there's also a lot of shit that I did. I never knew that I, I like literally learned from this movie. Like, I didn't know that there were different choirs of angels that like had names. I didn't know that there were these different types of demons, you know, floating around. I didn't know. There was a uh, ship monster. There, there was a ship monster. Yeah. All these things. So it was like, yeah, just uh, it, it, it allowed me to start questioning stuff is what it did. How about you, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's super clever. Like, you're dead on. Like, the way that he makes a bunch of new criticisms and finds inventive and funny ways to do that, it's obviously just, like, a, a great movie for that reason. Uh, the term I couldn't think of earlier was plot device, how Kevin Smith yeah. uses, like, a lot of different dogmatic scriptures and things and contradictions in scripture as plot devices, which is cool. Um, like, I think one of the major things that this movie hinges on, like you were saying, Evan, is that uh, there's, like, a line in the Bible that says, like, what God holds true in heaven or what man holds true, something like if a if a priest makes it a, a rule, it becomes a rule in heaven, which is why he can like just decree that that archway to the church forgives people of all their sins and will let these guys into heaven if they die right after. It's like one of those loopholes. And Frank, I don't know if you ever were like put in through like the catechism school. It's like you would have to like, if you're a Catholic, you usually had to go to like some extra classes on like weeknights or something before, before sacraments to like teach you about Catholicism right. and everything. And like you were saying, it was a lot of fire and brimstone. But I don't know if you guys had this experience there, but um, a lot of ours, the kids there would uh, try to like figure out loopholes. There was a whole, always a lot of like asking questions like, well, can my dog go to heaven? Like, can I go to heaven if I do this? Like, what if I do that? What if I do this right before I do that? Like, just like this movie is trying to do, like situations like that. And I think that there are a lot of situations like that which pull people out of their faith too, which is why this movie could be dangerous for people once you start to see the obvious holes in the plots there. Like, um, it really can just... Uh, I think that's what's cool about this thing is like uh, you, you kind of realize people are spending a lot of time and energy writing a lot of stuff about literal bullshit. So it's just yeah. funny. It's I, I, the, the last thing I'll say is I like 
when I was growing up, my both my parents were raised Catholic. Uh, but the, like by the time they were adults, they didn't really give a shit. But my mom was the one who was like, she was like, I don't agree with everything that the church does, but you need to get confirmed just in case. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> just in case the rules are true. I just want to make sure we have our bases covered so that you can get into heaven at a later date. And I was like, all right, fine. I will do that just for your peace of mind. Well, it's funny what you said, Mike. It reminds me of like those Simpsons episodes, I think early on in the show where their parents are at church and they're like in the basement, like in the church school. And Bart keeps asking all these ridiculous questions. Like, if I do this, will you get into heaven or hell? And it's it's it like that sounds like that's actually accurate. It's like what kids are doing in it. That makes it oh, 100%. That's funny. I mean, literally one of the things that brought me out of being religious, because I was like probably as an early teen, pretty devout because they had instilled it in me. And then I was like starting to have like hormones. And I'm like, oh, this is this is problematic. This is going to be a, this is going to be an issue. <laughs> um, and so obviously I came out of it for the better without the religion. But like my grandmother at one point had this necklace and she swore that it was like this blessed charm. that if you like died with this on you, you would go to heaven, like regardless of your sins and regardless of like. I mean, in the Catholic religion, like you have to go to confession, hopefully before you die, uh, because if you have any mortal sins on your soul, like if you like miss a mass and don't go to confession afterwards and then you die, like sucks for you. Like it doesn't matter if you were like a great Catholic, like you could have been Mother Teresa. You're going to hell, bro. Like sucks. But like there's a bunch of like weird loopholes like that for better or worse. And this necklace that apparently my grandmother said was one of them. I'm like, well, this kind of invalidates all religion. Like, why should I bother doing anything if I could just like wear this fucking necklace? Like, thanks, grandma. I appreciate it. But like. This also means that, like, this is very obviously all bullshit. Yes. Yeah. Evan, do you mind if I ask what, if any, denomination you were raised Jewish. in? Jewish. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I went to, like, the equivalent of that, like, Hebrew school confirmation type of thing. And it's it's the same thing, just a different God of doing, like, there isn't hell in the same kind of sense. It's more, it makes it seem like everything is all, like, forgiving, you know, in a sense. So that's why it's interesting to watch this movie as, you know, I, I don't know the I'm sure a lot of people watch this movie are not religious or not of Catholicism. So it's just interesting to see it from someone who grew up that way. That's why I find it. It's fascinating to me. Uh, but yeah, so the- It also is funny, but just real quick, a quick point that Frank made that I thought was really good, that it brings out a lot of things that even most Catholics never know about. Like there's a lot of things in this movie that really the only, uh, the real freak Catholics, uh, like <laughs> that they really would even have any kind of concern about. And I definitely things I found out about because of this movie, like you were saying too, Frank, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Emma. Oh no, yeah, no, you're good. I, I was just going to say the, like the, 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 I feel like the, one of the, there's many funny scenes in this movie, but the opening scene where Matt or Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, Loki and Bartleby are like having their conversation about this is just everything about it. Like them walking through the airport on the little like moving walkway. It's just, it's beautifully constructed and shot. Every everything about it is just funny, and every line. I feel like in Kevin Smith's especially this one, is like not a single line is wasted. You know, like every line like kind of fits, and it sometimes it's a little wordy, but I think that's what makes it so good. And you don't like in rewatching. I mean, I've seen this movie so many times. I understand what the context is now, but like rewatching that scene specifically, it's like you're introduced to Matt Damon first, who is speaking to a nun, and yes. he is. And he is essentially convincing her to give up the cloth. He is like, this is why religion is bullshit. Like, this just fucking duping people into basically getting shucked like oysters. And he successfully convinces this nun to, to give up the to give up the her nunhood. Uh, and then, like, it moves right to him and Affleck. And Affleck's like, you know that there's a God. You've been in his presence. Yet I just heard you say to this woman that there is no God. And he... It was like, I just love fucking with the clergy, man. I love keeping those guys on their toes. It's like, it's, and then it goes on and there's, they, they started, you know, like, they start explaining, uh, the, the, the loophole in the arch and the church and like all of these things. And when you're first watching, like the, it, it's hard to keep up. You're like, wait, why, why does, why has he been in the presence of God? Why doesn't Ben Affleck have an anus? Like why are, you know, yeah. like they haven't explained any of these things yet. It's really, that's why I, I was really impressed on this rewatch. I was like, damn, this is like well-structured. Like he's not holding the audience's hand. He's like very much just being like, we're going, the action is happening and you're going to have to like figure it yeah, out. Yeah, it is mildly complicated for like a comedy, but as you see, you're like, oh, everything makes sense. And like I said, like, I think it's nice how they flash each, you know, each character you're getting intro to's name. So you have Loki and you have Bartleby. And then I think you get switched over to 
uh, Bethany, who lives in, she lives in Illinois is where I messed up the name. She lives in McHenry, Illinois, for whatever reason they chose that location. And she is basically a devout Catholic, continuing to go to church, but also works at the Planned Parenthood, which I think is also the hilarious, like poking fun at this. Like she's very religious, doesn't miss mass, but then she goes to work with Janine Garofalo at the, uh, the Planned Parenthood. No, no, no holes barred. I thought that scene was cool because it's the two of them in the break room having like a crisis of faith, like just talking about being in, what do you, what, I guess their early thirties or something. And they're supposed to be like young single women uh, in the nineties or whatever. And this scene struck me as like such a pre nine 11 scene because it's like, I guess that's the crisis people were going through then. It's like, Oh no, is religion really fake? You know, we're out here just out on our own, you know? And whereas like now, if you talk to like Gen Z, God forbid, like you ask them their feelings on religion, like, they will literally just laugh at you. It's like, the, <laughs> I, I get the feeling that like the discourse among the younger generations is so much more nihilistic and hopeless that the problems of the the generation pre 9-11 just seem like just laughable in comparison. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. It does. It's like a very mundane problem as opposed to like paying rent, eating, you know, and late stage capitalist hellscape. You know, this is just, oh. I don't really believe in God anymore. I think what does it is that like she has a job that seems like comfortable. They never question it. She has a car that looks like, I guess, just like shitty, but it's fine. But like her apartment looks like chill. Like it's just never mentioned. Like she's never, there's no mention of like suffering and poverty or like material conditions, which is just like almost like a given for like the struggles of like, I think what's portrayed in movies or, or unless it's just like, Never mind. I, I could be off base because it, it can also just be totally ignored in movies the way they brush over and just assume that everyone is like the upper middle class or something in certain aspects. Yeah. They, she doesn't really address like where she's at materially in her life. It is just like it's solely just like a crisis of faith. Uh, it's kind of like in, how in rom-coms it's just like like our jobs are never the problem. It's just that we can't find love. Yeah, you know? I mean, her biggest thing is even that her husband left her as well. Right. And actually I uh-huh. in the um, deleted scenes they deeply extend the part at the Planned Parenthood. I won't like go into it, but she, someone comes in who wants to, I think, get an abortion and she basically walks her through why she can't have children and why her husband left her. And it's like very depressing and very serious. And I think definitely took away if they kept it. It was like a good five minutes long in the movie. And so they've removed it because they kind of hint to it, like how her husband had left her. She couldn't have children, I believe. And then we find out at the very end that she's pregnant. Because, you know, God gives her an immaculate conception or of some sort. And so she can have a baby. But like that was like the, that was part of why her crisis of faith thing was she couldn't have children or or find love. So it's like the added top of that, too. But I, I think it's right that in almost any movie, it's just assumed until recently that everyone is just like comfortable, like their life is fine. But this, but the movie does pass the Bechdel test just from that scene in the big. It alone. does, it does, and that's that's one thing I wanted to mention about this movie in general is that I think maybe you said Frank is that the the church is not considered to be very progressive. You know, there's not people of color and Latino and other women in the Bible or any of these things as far as like good characters. But this movie not only brings that up, but it has a black apostle in Chris Rock. They have. The muse, which is Salma Hayek, a Latina, and they have strong female characters is the main character of the whole thing. Yeah. So I think it's like also like a pretty cool like flipping on its head of religion and them having all these like strong like because the main character could have been a dude. Yeah. Sure. And they and he didn't do that. I think that's it should be appreciated for that. I I agree. It's I I definitely agree that like the the way that he wrote a lot of the characters and cast a lot of the characters was definitely progressive for this time for hit for that time and like pretty radical in what he was suggesting and being like chris rock was one of the original was one of the 13 apostles and, and jesus was black uh, and jesus was black <laughs> yes that's a huge part of like once chris rock shows up he's like oh i'm here not only to tell you about me but to tell you all that actually jesus was black um which is which was like i remember hearing that at the time and being like Whoa, that's I didn't even think about that. That he like he might have not been a white guy. I feel like it's pretty commonly understood now by non super uh traditional Catholics that if Jesus did in fact exist in some form, human or otherwise, that he most certainly was not a white person yeah, uh, like bopping around the Middle East in <laughs> two thousand years ago. Yeah. So uh 
so like yeah he was ahead of the curve on that the 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 one place that i get conflicted because it's and it's something i notice in kevin smith's writing as i get older is that like he clearly is he's clearly not like a, a an outward misogynist in that he doesn't like clearly doesn't like hate or want to disrespect women but a and like and does and goes at lengths in his jokes and in his dialogue to talk about how fucking stupid men are and how like how much shit women have to put up with put up with with men but at the same time like half of this movie is jay like just trying to sleep with uh bethany and, and like and that's the thing that it's just like uh, I get it. It's play. You're you're playing off of the fact that like this is just a dumb, horny guy who just like can't stop running his mouth. But like the ex- like Bethany's always at the butt of that joke. So like that's kind of the part where I'm like, ah, this this kind of sucks. Watch again now. Yeah, that is true. He he definitely is. That's really his entire character in this whole movie. You know the well. So we have the to get there. The only other character I think we didn't mention. Or the two other characters was is Azrael who is uh you know from hell and he comes up and he's played by jason lee which i think he apparently was originally going to be bartleby but he had like a scheduling conflict and so they only could slide him into like a small role which i'm thank god because i think the movie is for the better even though i like jason lee it's better this way and and then you have alan rickman who plays the character i can never pronounce the the Metatron. Metatron, right? Which I didn't know what that was. I think is intentionally like the joke too. Like, ah, oh, you don't even know who I am. Let me show you my wings and all this <laughs> shit. Like, you still don't know who I am. So that's basically the kind of the the two sides. You have like hell, and you have like the angels that are from heaven, and then you have like the humans. And I feel like they're like all interacting, and you have to prove to any of the humans that this is real. Like, we have to show the humans what we can do, what we know to prove that religion exists. And the only way to actually prove that religion exists is to like literally come down from heaven and show you yourself. So it's almost another like kind of stab in religion too. Is like the people don't believe it, or if they do, they believe so blindly. Like Bethany, like just assumes that God exists until she sees you know the Metatron and believes it for real. I don't know. That's why when like I, I know we're jumping jumping ahead a little bit, but like when. Bartleby Ben Affleck has his turn and basically like goes off the deep end and decides that uh, he does want to. He learns that because like him and him and Damon are under the auspices that like if they they do this loophole and get back into heaven, then they'll just get back into heaven. They're they're unaware that their reentry will literally unmake existence. So. But at some point he finds out because they encounter Bethany on the train and she tells him like, hey, I'm I'm like I'm being sent to this place to kill these angels. Like she doesn't know they're them. And then he like basically has like a break, like a mental break and is like and his his rant to Loki in the parking lot. I was like so resonant to me where he's just like talking about how like God basically made the angels to serve, but then like has shown humans infinite patience Um I was just like, that's such an interesting, like, yeah, that's such an interesting perspective. I wouldn't even consider it because he's right. Because he's like, he's talking about how shitty humans are and how, like, how we've just squandered all of the gifts that we have been given. Like, I don't, look, I don't think it's any surprise. I'm not, I don't believe in God at this point. But, like, yeah, how we just, have a- destroyed this planet, how we, have, you know, like, just don't, how we kill each other constantly. I was like, fuck, this is, this is probably how an angel would think if, if they, they existed. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, the there is like a breaking point for them, and um, one of the other, one of my other favorite. Well, and they also refer to uh, Bethany as her character is like the last scion, like humanity's last hope for stopping them. Which they never really, they partially kind of explain why she's chosen, but it's sort of I don't know if they feel like it's like explicit. I think there's a scene like we're in the we're in the woods later, and the Metatron Alan Rickman's character is kind of explaining to her why she's chosen, and I don't know. Did I, did I miss something? Do they? No, that, that's when it happens. She's she runs into the river because she's like, I can't do fucking this. just yeah. She can't. She gives up. She's like so uh, just um, what do you call it? Having a meltdown about the whole thing. And of course, that seems like a what like a second baptism, right? right? Like he gets her out of the lake and he's like, No, you're actually going to be oh wow, yeah. um, God's servant, but also what you always were. Like just add this new data to your personality or like to what you already know of yourself as who you are. So I mean. <laughs> That was, I think, the turning point where she decides that she's gonna she's gonna go do it. Um, but I like that just because right after that, I think is when they get 
into the bar and that's when Azrael shows himself and he starts fighting with them. He kills the bartender. He makes the holy bartender joke. Like he does play that whole role, like very over the top. Like I, I like him in all of Kevin Smith movies and, and everything I've seen him in, but he definitely plays this like as smarmy as possible the whole time. Yeah. But I think it fits. It fits for like being a demon. Like, I, I don't know. Somehow that I guess that seems fitting. Um, and it's also just, I guess for the time it, it works really well, but that's when like, you start to see, again, there's more of like the scripture used as plot devices. But I think, again, that's what's so clever about what he does with this movie. is like, you know that there are some rules he could exploit for the good guys to just win at any point. Like, obviously, they could just like, it's, it's funny because um, I think, Frank, you were saying at the beginning, like, they teach you that you're always being watched and judged and everything by the spirits. And Chris Rock even says, like, you know, the dead always watch the living, especially in the shower and everything. And uh, the Jay, what's it? Jay, not Silent Bob. He says, yeah, I can't wait to be dead because, of course, he's just the stereotypical horny guy the whole time. But so, of course, like, why can't they find out who the convalescent god is that's on life support in the hospital, who also happens to be the one that they're trying to raise funds for in the Catholic Church to keep him alive, like, because they oppose, you know, euthanasia on all circumstances, even though it would literally save humanity. Of course, it's like the key irony. Yeah, they don't use that kind of plot device where they had that all-knowingness in that circumstance, of course. But again, it's just how it works. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Like the ultimate religious irony, I feel like where, yes, if he was all, you know, all knowing, all fallible, he could pass this to like the voice, right? Like the voice of God seems to know that that's also one thing that I thought that I got the sense of was that Alan Rickman's character might have known, but it needed to be Bethany to like uncover this, like somehow like religion couldn't step in. Like we created you, but we're not going to step in and mess with anything, which is kind of like, the whole thing with that scene in the parking lot you're talking about, Frank, where God is kind of like letting people do whatever they want. He doesn't really interfere with anything. Uh-huh. It just You have to just learn on your own. And so I think all the characters kind of seem to have to come to some realization, even like Jay and Silent Bob, like near the end, I feel like have this a sense of like purpose or understanding. Yeah, I, I chalk it up a little bit to just kind of like movie bullshit. You know, like, uh, like it took Bethany all of two seconds at the end to be like, Oh wait, that guy on life support was he near a boardwalk? Oh my god, the hospital's right next to the church. Yeah, like I feel like all of the choirs of angels could have put their heads together and figured that one out. Uh, But yeah, I think that's just you know, just some movie bullshit. But like some pretty some pretty good ones because like when you because again the assault on God we we learn later in his human form is the first scene of the movie and you're just like I have no idea what the hell is happening I don't know who this guy is I don't know why the why the fuck these kids are beating him up um and then it's just like little breadcrumbs and then yeah you find out that was just that was just god chilling playing some skee ball one of the my favorite scenes in this movie there's a lot of hilarious ones but I think maybe my the, the two that are I guess kind of in a row is when Azrael and Bartleby are on the bus going mm. to the church but then they're going to make a stop at the movie headquarters and I feel like both of those scenes, like the one on the bus is hysterical. You know, he shoots the shoots the dude because he's a, an adulterer for, you know, with his with his gun that he acquired very easily at the at the shop, apparently uh, at the gun shop. And then he goes to the the movie headquarters and he just murders all but one of the the people. And I think I made a meme on on TikTok a few months ago. I think maybe right after we were talking about doing this movie. And it's the scene where like the golden calf is basically like capitalism. And there are all these people like holding it up to esteem. Like this is their God. Like the movie idol Uh was just the idea of like ultimate wealth and prosperity to these rich assholes, you know, sitting around the table, you know, being horrible people. Except for the one. I thought it was really funny that she was there. It's like. How does she get to be in the boardroom of the idolaters if she didn't do anything wrong? Like even, even just her efforts in the company for the idolatry, like that should put her in the in the category of like getting merged with the rest of them. I don't know why it doesn't, but I think it's just it's obviously movie bullshit. It's funny. Yeah. I think it's, but she didn't it's say fun, God bless you. Thing. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> about it, that. I think it's also it's it's telling that like it's the one woman in the boardroom full of men that that Bartleby and Loki were like, you're the only good one here. We we will spare you. Yeah, I guess um, I think it was like an attempt to just show like a mild aspect of like God's mercy to like, you know, we're going to make an example out of all you and we're going to save you to, you know, tell everyone not to keep doing this stuff or something. Yeah. And again, you're right. It's like movie. It's funny. It's it's very the whole scene is very funny. And then he like gives her the gum while she's like got blood all over her face. I will say I think that the uh, the scene on the bus is more succinct and more clever 
than the whole scene in the boardroom. Like it's it's cooler in the boardroom. It's bloodier. It's like you know it's a very movie scene. Whereas the one on the bus is just like he just sees the two people making out. They're so passionately making out in public like that, and then he just interrupts them, and says, "Are you married?" They're like, "Yeah." What business of yours? And he's like, "Wait, to each other?" And he's like, "No." But he wait. The other one asks, right? I'm trying to remember the I scene. Think they, I, I think he asked at the same like, time. I think both times Matt Damon asked him, and he's like oh, okay. to her, and he's like, "Not that it's any of your business, but no." <laughs> hilarious <laughs> but that's like that was just such a clever way to do that i loved it yeah that scene is very is is very funny and the uh yeah i love that and at the same time i think when you i think i don't know maybe you said frank when like chris rock is introduced into the movie you know literally falling from the sky like completely butt naked and he's you know convincing like gets gets silent bobs like uh jacket which is also very funny he's walking around and they go to the movies which i think the one thing about Kevin Smith movies, and especially in this one, is like the tie-ins. Like they had to going to the <laughs> movies is just perfect. It's they're going to the like because that's all that's left. And he like asked him Bethany what it is, and she explains the sandwich, which is like ridiculous. It's like a a movie. I don't remember the exact words. Egg and, egg and movie muffin. Egg and movie muffin. <laughs> there you go. And it's just it's just like it's an egg muffin, whatever. But it's a movie one. It's it's just perfect. Yeah, I don't remember when he introduced Mubi, but then like Mubi is like throughout the rest of his films. I feel like it might have been in Chasing Amy, but they never had a location. Like they refer to it like, oh, I went to Mubi's or yeah. something like that. But I don't know. But I think that the Chris Rock character and also I think right after this, the Salma Hayek character being like we said, the like a black man who was a left out of the Bible as an apostle kind of shows like that religion doesn't care about you if you're not a white dude in it i feel like he had some of like the most profound things to say probably of any of the characters or any of the speeches throughout the movie of you know like we want to try and fix the bible we need you to help us do that we need the people who are losing faith like what would make you want to we're like we're going to crowdsource the bible now yeah i mean he he basically raises the idea of like you know if if people found out that jesus was black would they want to believe in him like would 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 christianity would catholicism have become what it has become if everyone knew that jesus was black to begin with probably not just based on the way that uh you know racism has pervaded through the centuries um True. i i my favorite thing that chris rock says in this movie and my favorite i my favorite uh idea about religion that he posits in this movie is when they're on the train near the end and chris rock is talking about how you know like all these different religions like no one's got it right like everyone's fucking up everyone like you know the catholics the christians like the jews the muslim like no one has figured it out and he's like because everyone like has these beliefs and beliefs are hard to change and like ideas are better because an idea you can change beliefs people will kill for they will die for and i was like that is that's fucking beautiful and you could like and that you could apply that to anything other than just religion you know politics like, politics capitalism whatever like people just like have these these beliefs it's just like hard like like hard found beliefs and they're just like i will i would rather fucking die than even consider a different perspective than this i think that's like pretty I, that that's pretty powerful to me do either of you guys happen to remember um, uh, Selma Hayek's quote? There are some, I think they were sitting around the campfire. Are there, maybe was in the bar. And Selma Hayek says something about, they asked her like which religion had it right. And she said, none of them had it right because they're all too self-righteous to realize that the point is, and then I literally walked away from the from the movie to like go do something else during that scene. So I don't remember how she finished that sentence. Um, but I don't know if you guys happen to remember that, that quote. But um, one of the things that, I mean, it's no problem. I had something else I wanted to say anyway, but Frank, you had said early on in the in the show that they he makes a lot of really good criticisms of religion from like a progressive angle, and I thought one of the best ones was like all the arguing they did over whether God is a man or a woman, mm. and I thought that was like especially hilarious in retrospect because they do a lot of pronoun play in the movie, like they constantly are like calling God she or him or like whatever, and then like emphasizing it or like staring at each other when they do it to make a point of it, like depending on who is saying it or in what situation, and I thought that was really funny, especially like with the everything that's transpired since then and like how much of a deal obviously people make about pronouns now. Um, but then obviously just in retrospect, the idea of thinking of like spiritual entities as like gendered, it's just it's just really funny. <laughs> especially like I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And he was I mean he was ahead of the head of the times. He was like decades before Ariana Grande, you know? Like he <laughs> what does yeah. Ariana Grande say? I don't know. Oh, I, she I don't has get that, that reference. I think she has I'm pretty sure it's her the song God is a woman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm too old then. 
Jump dog. I am 35 years old. I I don't know how I even know that. (laughs) What you're both saying is I think they make, she specifically makes some comment about like how this is like, she is in this body that she like buys her body, right? Like that she's creates this herself that she wants to be almost right. The serendipity character, Sama Hayek, I feel like she makes it known, right? That she like bought her, her beautiful body. So she could basically just, this was the body she inhabits because she's not really because she's not a human. Yeah. yeah. She's a she's a, a muse, uh, inspiring artists, filmmakers specifically. I, uh, I also love the line where she's talking about how are they she says all the movies that she had written except for Home Alone. And they're like, yeah, I, didn't, I don't know who like sold their soul to like make that that one like do well, which I thought that line. It's, it's very funny. Like she, she's like written all the classic movies and uh yeah. A lot of John Hughes references in this movie. There are a lot of John Hughes. I saw something about that where I can't remember. It was like one of the IMDb notes, but like they, he apparently does that a lot in his movies, like sly, sly little references. Cause they also kind of both created their own universe, which is also what I think what you're talking about is where Jay and Silent Bob come to Illinois because they think that's the place <laughs> where John Hughes movies all take place, which is the, was such a hilarious thing that they like, didn't look that up beforehand <laughs> they're just like we're gonna go to this how did they get a bus ticket to a place that didn't exist that's such, it's, it's such a fucking brilliant just like reason that they're in illinois it's just like <laughs> with all the john hughes movies are set in Shermer, illinois so we're like we're gonna go there and be the only dealers in town got here and was like there is no Shermer in illinois <laughs> and, and there's lots of hot women because like in the movies they're all hot women like not thinking that like it's just a movie dude yeah mm-hmm. it's it's very yeah i um yeah the ship monster too i think is very funny I, lo- I always like how silent bob kevin smith like uses his character like his whole thing of like not saying very much and having only like a few actions where he like sprays like the the spray on the ship monster and it just like collapses and then his his line his only line in the movie is on the train when he throws him off and says the famous indiana jones line which is no tech not all right <laughs> i love that i love that. i mean yeah he's he's he always loves like he's a he loves media and movies and culture. And so I think his putting that into all of his movies is always awesome. Yeah, I actually wrote down on my notes. I wrote that idea is better than a belief. So that was you. Uh, you got that one perfectly. And um, what was the other thing I was going to mention? Oh, they also talk about like Jesus having like siblings and Mary Magdalene. Like like they they, they, oh, they, yeah. they like, flip that around too, where like there's this whole structure of everything being wrong, but it's written by by men. And I think that's what. Uh, Sama Hayek's character says like it's been written by men to make women look bad and men look good and it's like such a another perfect like poking fun of the bible using like scripture and as you were saying Mike like to 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 fold in those things yeah that was an interesting critique I'm sure that definitely made a lot of people I mean I'm trying to think if it made me think about that at the time when I saw it because I don't remember how old I was when I even saw this movie but um, I'm just assuming it was around that time that it came out but yeah I mean that's definitely something that would have hit a lot of people hard because it's like when um, there was a protest sign that I saw on probably a meme post forever ago, and it just said, there are no white people in the Bible. Take all the time you need with this. And it was great because somebody just put that on a sign at a protest. And like, you know, that definitely hits some religious white people right in the gut because that thought had just never occurred to them. And then to even hear that, like, you know, even if it's proposed in a Kevin Smith movie, it does kind of make sense that, they, that maybe Joseph and Mary would have had other kids after Jesus, you know, even if she's like conceived immaculately before that point. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good fucking point. That it's Chris a great plot device, for sure. Yeah, he's just like, he's like, yeah, Mary had Christ without, uh, you know, through immaculate conception, but like her and Joseph were married. What do you think? They never had sex? Like, that's just gullibility. Like, yeah, I was yeah. Like, yeah obviously, of course. He, he really put in all those like things that people might have like had this thought in their brain, but like couldn't come to it. And like he pulled them out like so that people like at the like at the thing like the the protest sign it's people weren't ever thinking of those things until someone like shoves it right in their face and like oh of course ben affleck kills azrael not azrael um loki and i found that kind of strange that he like he doesn't let him go through like he's he's had that moment you mentioned on the on the train where he's realized that this is going to destroy everything but he doesn't tell him right he doesn't tell 
he doesn't tell Loki. So yeah, it's like he basically has like a he has like his own little like uh, essentially like a like a break like a just you know it just goes off the deep end where he's where he's like oh I I he's like basically I fucking hate God now I want not only do I want to prove them wrong I want to unmake reality because fuck all of this so I guess killing him is only it doesn't matter if he succeeds in some sense right every everyone is going to yeah to, but it's almost like he didn't see he wasn't with him in the end so he has to knife him in the chest after he cuts off his wings yeah i mean it's such a great reversal because in the first part of the movie like damon is the one like loki is the one that's like you know fuck these people like i want to like kill more of them to get back on god's good side and then by the end it's totally swapped and and affleck is the one who's like no like not only do i want to kill all the humans i want to i want to i want everyone to not exist ever again if i'm gonna if you know everyone's gonna suffer you know i'm gonna make everyone suffer he's like sees the the thing and the uh the yeah the last the last scene is very is very I don't know if funny is the right word. It's always, it's very strange. Alanis Morissette playing, you know, God coming down and, uh, you know. One of the best pieces of stunt casting of all time. Like, absolutely brilliant. Because when, yeah, when God is finally revealed at the end of the movie, it is played by, like, the actual Alanis Morissette. And it's just, like, fucking awesome. Great. Are you you saying that it's ironic? Wow. (laughs) We can just cut, cut. I liked it, Devin. It's fine. But I I saw who was supposed to... They... It didn't work out. Like, they had someone... They actually wrote the character for someone else. I'm trying to find who it was. Yeah, there's lots of things that they wanted. They wanted Danny Elfman to write the score to this movie, but he wasn't available. Okay. They also wanted to have Samuel Jackson instead of Chris Rock was another potential... (laughs) Uh, piece, which would have been interesting. Yeah. Like, the, I think it was just uh, Shannon Do- Doherty wanted to play Bethany, but they didn't invite her to try out because she was in Mallrats. Oh, um, that's right. They also offered Albert Brooks the role of the of the Glick instead of George Carlin first, which that also would have been very good. But I think I, I Carlin is just yeah. So... I'm glad it was Carlin. When God wants to come down and do something, because like a stave, you know, a Bethany saves her saves. Her, I guess they make God a her. That's another thing too. Is throughout the movie they refer to God as a him. Almost every single person except Salma Hayek's character. Salma right, Hayek, she yeah. says, and then, and then and then Bethany starts referring to to God as a woman. Right, and so I I wonder why they. The, I was thinking about why they would do that throughout the movie, and I guess it's like a reveal in a sense, but also like that everyone just assumes that God is a man because you know only it could only be a man who could do all this, but then. They throw a last more set at you. Alan Rickman is one of the ones I, I was remembering. He like insistively says him and like he in in like one of the scenes, and he like pointedly looks at somebody else who had been using, and then right again uses she/her pronouns for God. Uh, right after that, and I thought that was like really funny. I didn't really get what the point even was in that scene, other than to just insist from Alan Rickman, who's supposed to be the character who's like closest to God, like literally the voice of God, uh, that God's a, a man. And I thought that was like a, just a really kind of odd insistence on that part. I don't know. It's also interesting too, is that all of the angels and whatnot, they don't have parts really. Like the angel, like Alan mm-hmm. Rickman, like pulls down his, you know, his pants in that like hilarious scene where it's like, he's like a Ken doll underneath. But the, <laughs> but then they have a gender role assigned to God, which is interesting also with like, Sam Hayek isn't technically human, so she doesn't have one, but they're assigning a role to God. I don't know. We don't need to go down the go down that, but I thought it was it's interesting. It is. I feel like if Kevin Smith were writing this movie today, because I mean, he's like you know, he's I think for the most part is like a a smart progressive dude. You know, I I I, I haven't loved a lot of his recent films, but like you know, he's always been forward thinking. He's definitely not like a hateful person. Anything's like I, I remember when all of the Weinstein stuff came out. He like was one of the few people who like profited from Weinstein who was like oh I'm like giving away all of my money from this shit like he like actually like put his money where his mouth was um so I feel like if he was writing this movie today the conversation would, would be like God doesn't have a fucking gender there is no gender yeah. like why why are you so hung up on gender it doesn't matter at all they he she it whatever fucking it doesn't like that I feel like that would be the 23 23 version yeah um I guess in this it's, it's like the progressive idea in 1999 kind of almost ahead of his time would be like you think God's a dude? No, it's not. So I think that's in itself, right, I guess, is probably like the progressive jump for 24 years ago. So I can't, I can't fault him. I think, I think he made a pretty 
respectably progressive movie for the time pre 9 11. I'm trying to think of like how many movies have even personified God since then. It's like, what is it like, Evan Almighty and made it like Morgan Freeman? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, but I think like the move is usually if movies since then, they probably have just portrayed God as like a spirit. So it never has like personified form, never needs to have a gender to begin with, where there's never spend that much time. But I am wondering who's going to be the brave filmmaker to make God a, a trans person. Like the first person to do that in a film and really piss off all the right wingers because that will. Man, that would really get them going. I can't wait to see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it could be. I could see, like, well, the Matrix movies don't have, I don't know, the Wachowski. Uh, they could do it, maybe, as, I don't know. Have great. they done, I, what I movies have they done it. recently yeah. other than, like, the Matrix movies? Have they done any recently? Cloud Atlas a few years ago. <laughs> Did I freeze? Speed Racer. Oh. Which wasn't very okay. good, as, as far as I remember. Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah. I'm curious, did you the end of this movie or like throughout like the overall message of this movie because something that i really uh respect admire i don't know about this movie specifically is that like he's very very critical but uh, of religion of like specifically organized religion and the rules it entails but it it also is like somewhat uh like respectful and celebratory of faith in general um i'm curious as like I don't know, as like as Marxists, as like people in this at at this stage in human uh, societal development, like is that enough? Like, is it is it like is it enough if uh, or, or is it is it okay if someone allows their faith to just be faith and not to be something like hateful or exclusionary? Um, or do you think that like religion on on the whole is problematic? Because I, I I really don't know. I do have some like dear friends who are like still religious they're like wonderful loving people who like ideologically are pretty much aligned with us but they're like yeah i still go to church because i love the community there and i am like i'm an atheist at this point and i can't like i i like wholly disagree with like the concept of religion but i also can't like go the step farther and be like you guys are wrong about that or like my fr to like my friends like you you are wrong i like i'm i'm curious just as Oh, as man. like leftists, as Marcus, like how do you feel? That's about a hell of a question this? to ask. Like towards I, the very end, I know, but right at the end, yes. right at the end. I, was, I mean, I definitely take it on a case by case basis. But if somebody tells me or just even intimates to me that they're religious, I am immediately suspect that they're going to be a bigot, and I then have to like act differently about them or around them because I don't know like what their what their beliefs are. Like I just assume they're probably kind of racist and maybe a little homophobic. And if I didn't know them well enough to know that those things were not the case beforehand before finding out that they're religious, I feel like it would have come up. Like, try to think of how long I would have to know somebody before they make a comment saying that they are devoutly religious. But yeah, I mean, I would just, there are some people who are religious and they just don't see a problem with anyone who is different than them. It's just that those are so few and far between that it definitely does make me immediately suspect of people who are religious. But yeah, I mean, I would say it definitely has a problematic nature, especially in this country, because it's been so co-opted and enmeshed with fascism and just right-wing rhetoric. But that can definitely be a situation that's pretty much unique to white Western countries, I think. Yeah, I, I think totally. I think too is you might be able to say that someone is like extremely religious, which I could see could be suspect. But then you could also like have faith, where like you may not necessarily be like a devout Christian or a devout Jew or Muslim, but also, but just have like a belief in some. I don't, I don't know if, there, if it is possible to separate from being like, I'm very religious to just like, I have faith in something. I don't know what it is. And I can still have these beliefs. Cause I, I see occasionally like on, on online, there's a person on TikTok who's, I think his name is like Orthodox Marxist. He's like a religious person and he's a Marxist. And I don't always agree with some of the things he says, but generally speaking, like it's similar ish, I guess you could say. So I guess it's possible. I don't want to say like, offhand anyone who's religious but i'd have to to go a little deeper and say that's totally fair yeah it, especially today the connotation of saying like i am religious or like especially like you're saying mike in the u.s in the like especially in the evangelical community that that carries like a very negative like rightfully earned some negative connotation. <laughs> yeah some negative connotations these days my one uh last question regarding religious like literal dogma is a. Uh, Chris Rock and his character pointed out that they don't talk about Jesus from 13 to 33. And I thought that was really funny because I've never even tried to ask any devoutly, like people who claim to read the Bible or maybe actually do, um, 
like what it says about Jesus during the time period. Cause that's like a legit question that I had. And I think that I got from this movie and I'm kind of curious. I'll probably like Google it after this to see like what Catholics actually say Jesus was up to at that time. But Kevin Smith definitely, definitely takes advantage of that gap in uh, biblical knowledge to use for a great plot device, which I like. One, I'll just say one thing and you can maybe speak to it is like, you think of 13 is also like when a Jewish person would be bar mitzvahed and like, isn't he was supposed to be like hey. a Jewish carpenter. So presumably yeah. he Jesus was a rabbi, wasn't he? Uh, I don't know if he was a, I thought like canonically he was supposed to be like a rabbi and he was like Jewish. And then because of him that like changed the Jewish faith is like how it's supposed to work. I don't know. I don't remember that, but I just know that I, I thought that he had gotten like, he had been bar mitzvahed as a, 13 year old but i didn't really know that much about this gap i just googled it and there's like countless articles about like what happened oh, to sure. the missing period <laughs> like like you could probably spend the rest of your like month like reading books about this i'm sure it says like he had a walkabout he just kind of like wandered and like crocodile dundee <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know had his had his rum sprig up <laughs> yeah it's before he had to go start saving people people like people it. also claim there's like a secret in the vatican like hidden somewhere where you know, they'll make like a, what's those books with the Tom Hanks, like make a book about it or something. Oh, Da Vinci Code? Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, they could just have one, because there is one about like the, the the lineage of Jesus. I think that's the first one. And so hey. presumably people believe that. So I don't know. I mean, a lot of myth has been spun up from, I mean, maybe the guy existed, but like, you know, someone took it and was like, we can run with this. This is this is good branding, this guy. Like we, we could put a spin on this. And I think that's a lot of where it, came from to be honest i wanted to quickly mention the, the kids cutting a hole in the universe with the hockey stick when they need to teleport that was a quick little plot device i liked yeah um i did realize in watching this that i for sure wore the the hoodie inside of a blazer look for like early college because of this movie i was like oh that's where i got that from because like that was that was my fucking look baby uh i was like that looks yeah everything about like the like the the sets in this movie, like all of the clothing. I, I feel like everything is just... Except for Asriel's fedora that didn't age as well. Made him look kind of douchey. <laughs> yeah, and I like how they... My one, one funny like part of this is when they like kill that woman for her house because it has like air conditioning. Like, do you have air conditioning in here? Central air in every room but the bathroom? That was funny. <laughs> I think it's aged decently. Yeah. Not perfectly. Yeah. And for the jokes. Yeah, nothing is yeah. overly like racist. No, not like a normal no, Johnny's movie. No, definitely not. No, other than Jay tr constantly trying to overtly sleep with <laughs> Bethany. I think that's. I mean, there's a couple of like slightly homophobic jokes here and there. Yeah, um, but then there's also like some lines that are like completely non-judgmental of like gay couples at the time. So it's a little. It's it's the Kevin Smith thing where he's like, oh, I totally like love and accept gay people, but I also think it's okay to make fun of them. You know, which is like. It's like a very like 90s white guy thing. Yeah, it's definitely of the time. Better than a lot of the movies at that time, for sure. Like, there are some terrible movies at the time. That scene in the uh, in the break room when Jeannie Garofalo and Linda Fiorentino are having their religious crisis. And Linda Fiorentino says, like, um, she's so miserable since she, since her husband left. And Jeannie Garofalo says, you thinking about switching teams? And then her, her only response to that is, oh, women are crazy. And I was just like, whoa, because I was literally just thinking as that scene was happening, at, right before she said that, this, this scene passes the Bechdel test. Like, they're not talking about men. It's two women talking together. Like, these are main characters in the movie. This is great. And then she says that, like, oh, damn, fuck. They almost, they, they just got there. And then, yep. yeah. The, um, yeah, for, for anyone who hasn't or hasn't seen this in a while and you don't have the DVD, there is actually a cut on YouTube that airs, puts all of the deleted scenes where they belong. Like, they cut all of them from the DVD, I guess, and then put them in. It makes the movie almost two hours and 45 minutes, which is like 50 minutes, I think, of deleted scenes, which is a lot. And there's, there's good commentary you can find on YouTube, too, from the DVD, if you're into well, that sort of thing. Still love it. Still still one of my favorites. Yeah. Very appreciative to this movie. It came, came to me at the right time. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for asking me to be on. I had no idea you were even going to talk about this one. And then you asked me like the last minute yesterday. And I was like, damn, I forgot how much I loved that movie until I like watched it again today. And I was actually planning on getting on here tonight without having like watched it in preparation. I'm like, I think I remember enough about that movie. And I was so fucking glad I put it on because there is, it's a dense movie. Like you were saying, Frank, it is very well structured. There's a lot going on. Like you definitely need to like watch it again to check up on it, but it's great. 
Yeah, they definitely layer a lot. They definitely make it complicated-ish for a movie like that, but I think it it comes out all right. And yeah, no, I'm glad you could join. I, I had asked uh, another buddy to join Frank and I, but they're like, well, I don't know if I really like that movie. I'm like, wait, what do you mean you don't like this movie? <laughs> but, but then I thought like you should come anyway because it would be f- yeah. more interesting because very rarely do, do I do a movie or have guests who don't like the movie, which I think is actually- Yeah, well, let's see what they say. Yeah, except for Parasite, I think is the only movie where- one of the three guests hated the movie and it was made for some interesting commentary. What? What? All right. It's okay. All right. We're going to do a second part. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We listen to your parasite episode and then talk about it. That's there could be, that's interesting. Like you could almost do the same movie, but with like people who hate the movie and people who like it. And it would be interesting to see how they would think. I would listen. Frank from movies versus capitalism, where you can listen to your podcast anywhere. Podcasts are available. Yeah, all the podcast places. Uh, and Mike will turn leftist the same. Same thing. Where all the podcasts are available, they'll be linked down below. But uh, Mike, Frank, thank you for coming on and talking some Kevin Smith dogma. Thanks so much. Anytime. Thanks for having us, Evan. All right. Well, you've been listening to Left of the Projector, and we will catch you next time. Thanks.